We are in Ezekiel chapter 20, and we will get through the entire chapter. This is going to begin a new a new uh, session, so to speak. He's got a number of different sessions in each of the prophetic words that comes, comes um, uh, uh, one after another, but they're all in kind of these, these groups, and uh, we're given the time frame for when they are. So we get this same thing in here. It came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month. This is the fourth time we're given a time of um, the prophetic utterance. So we're given the time of the prophetic utterance and then a number of utterances come. But that gives us the fourth session we uh, generally call them. So it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month. The first one came in the fifth year. And then we had a few other ones. In fact, I, I believe I listed them for you. But as we get ready to get going on, on this one here, if you've ever had an opinion about a matter that is contrary to the Word of God or contrary to something that God spoke to you in your spirit. And you kind of want to do the thing that you want to do, but the Word of God says to do something else. You ever had that go on? And as you are getting close to either making a decision or maybe you did make a decision and you went ahead and bought the thing and make the endeavor, whatever it might be, the things that are going on around you seem to indicate that you made the right choice, even though you went against the word or you went against what God spoke to you. And that's kind of what we're running into here, is that the, a, a choice needs to be made. And God's word says one thing, and the people want to do something different. That's nothing new with Israel. That's the way that they always are. But here it says, It came to pass in the seventh year in the fifth month on the tenth day of the month that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Now we ran into this in chapter 14. The elders came to Ezekiel to ask questions only to find that God was less than favorable. He said, Should I let them inquire of me? <laughs> and God wasn't uh, seeming to be too, too much on that side. In chapter 14 it was because they had idols in their heart. And God actually used the words, should I let myself be inquired of them at all? So here, here the reason is not given. But God says, should I, I, he actually just says, I will not be inquired by you. In other words, you're not going to be able to ask questions. It's kind of like if somebody's going to call a press conference and they're going to tell you some things, but uh, no questions. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to ask any questions. I'm going to tell you what I want, to, want you to know. And that's it. That's kind of what God's saying here. So they've all come before him, before Ezekiel, to ask him some questions, to inquire of God. In this passage, there is no indication as to what they may have, may have been wanting to do. We don't know exactly um, what they wanted to ask because they're never given an opportunity. But if we dig into history, we can pretty much get an idea of what they were doing. And what they were asking. Now, uh, I gave you a list here. I, I, there's a whole mess I had, a mess of stuff I had in the, in the notes. And I started to delete things out. I was thinking maybe I ought to go to a two-pager, but we kept it to a one-pager. Uh, but I think all this is in there. This is the fourth dated prophecy. The first was in chapter one. That was in the fifth year. And it gave more specifics, 13th year, month, and, and so forth. But it was in the fifth year of the, uh, time frame from the uh, of the king in chapter 3 verse 16 it says seven days later so there was a period of a week that went from the the first one that first one that was his vision and calling in chapter 3 verse 16 this is where we have the siege of jerusalem and he's portrayed as laying on the side for um, uh, uh, so many days and then on his other side one representing the northern tribes of israel the other one representing the southern tribes of judah and then we go all the way up to chapter 8 in the sixth year, in the sixth month, fifth day. That's where we saw the glory has departed from the temple, all the abominations that were set up in the temple, that there were wicked prophets in chapter 13, that there were idols in their hearts in chapter 14. That's when they came to inquire of God. In chapter 15, we have the story of the vine. 16 was that uh, very graphic chapter of the harlotry of Israel. 17 is the eagle and the vine. 18 was the false proverb, the sour grapes. 
and then 19 was the young lions. That was all one session of, of words that came. And the time frame of it was the sixth year, the sixth month, and the fifth day. At least that's when they started. And then they uh, came one after another. Don't know if uh, it was just hours between them, if it was a day in between each one, but one came right after another. Now we have given another time frame, and this is the seventh year, fifth, fifth month, and tenth day. That's about 11 months since the last group of prophecies. So we have 11 months where nothing was said, or nothing at least was written, but it seems that nothing was given between, in all those 11 months. Imagine being a prophet to, to the people, and you got nothing to say for 11 months. So this gives us a time frame of this because we're able to, to uh, time it from the king. And this puts us at around 591 B.C. The siege of Jerusalem is about three and a half years away. This is when this, it's going to fall. So they still have three and a half years to continue on in the way they're going. Now we never hear their question, but here's what the timing would indicate the question probably was. In the summer of 591 B.C., Pharaoh engaged Babylon in a battle. And Pharaoh was victorious. Now, if you're Israel, and you've got one prophets that say uh, the Babylonian captivity will continue. This is the will of God. And then you've got the other group of prophets who say, no, Babylon's going to fall, and you're going to be delivered from Babylon. And of course, those were the false prophets. They were putting, you had one group of people who put their hope in Egypt. The other group of people put their hope in, Bab- in Babylon because that's what God had said to do. There weren't as many people on that side. There were more people on the Egyptian side as put our hope into, into Egypt. And if you go into the Kings and the Chronicles, you'll find out that the king at that time had put his hope in Egypt and was uh, uh, kind of all in. He rebelled against Babylon and went all in with Egypt. This is probably one of those things that helped motivate him and the things that uh, and the, the people is that Egypt won this battle. This is a major battle. So in seeing that this major battle was won, we're thinking, all right, Egypt is gaining the supremacy over Babylon. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah are wrong. Babylon is not going to remain in power. They're on their way down. It hasn't happened yet. But they're, they're kind of watching the handwriting on the wall. They just lost this big battle in 591. And so they're, they're coming. And then they sit down in front of the prophet. And they say, hey, <laughs> we want to have a meeting. We have some things to ask God. Now, if you're, we have to suppose what this is. But again, God is against them. So these are not questions like, God, you know, how can we get back in your good graces? Um, if we want to repent. These are not these kind of questions, or God wouldn't be so opposed to them. Their questions are going to be against the Word of God. That's why God says, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. I'm not taking any of your questions. You're going to listen to me, but I'm not going to listen to you. It was probably something along the lines of this. Ezekiel, if God has said that Babylon will reign... Uh, how is it that Babylon is losing the war? And why should we not side with Egypt? Now, that's just questioning the things of God. But you see, they want to go in a certain direction. They have people that say God wants them to go in this direction as well. And now they have evidence from the things that are going on around them. This is the way we should go. And they come before God this way. And God is not very impressed with them at all. Their hopes were high that Egypt would come through soon and make Judah one of their vassal nations, freeing them from Babylon. I'm not exactly sure how they think that's going to take the captives out of the area of Babylon and bring them home, but somehow they had hope for that. Because the folks at Ezekiel's are prophesying too, if, if, uh, it just deals with the nation of Judah and doesn't free the captives, it didn't really help them. So that's the setting. That's what has, is going on in, in the history of things. So he says, Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, 
I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to each, or said to them, Each of you throw away your abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now you'll notice this on the day that I raised my hand in an oath. He says this a few times. This is all covenant language. He is referring back to the covenant. I chose you. I made a covenant with you. On that day that I made that covenant with you, I said, stay away from these other idols. I gave you some, some, uh, some laws, some things to do. Put away those idols. Get away from the Egyptian idols. So because of this covenant, God commanded them to keep from idols and he, had, he divided us up into some groups. First off, the ones they had before. Remember, Abraham came out of an idolatrous nation. There were idols that they had before. There were family idols, gods that they served in the land before and maybe other gods that they picked up along the way. And then when Egypt put them and made them slaves, they had an opportunity to make some of the Egyptian gods their gods. And some of them did. So he says, take those gods that you had before and put them away. Take those around them in Egypt and put them away. And then there was those that they're going to see in the new land. And he warned them about those. Don't pick them up. Don't go after them. I'm your God. Verse 8, but they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were and whose sight I had made myself known to them to bring them out of the land. So they rebelled, but instead of judgment, God gave them mercy. And the reason for it that is given here, the reason was God was concerned about his name among the Gentiles because he has he had selected them he had chosen them he had made a covenant with them and he wants this to be a test of testimony to all the Gentile nations that God is a strong God and that God is a loving God and God takes care of his people because a lot of the gods that they have they, they don't take care of their people but God's a good God Amen. and we're we were out, um, we were out running last night and I, I got to run with a, a guy I don't get to run with all that often. And, uh, we always get into some Bible discussions. And so we were getting into a, a bit of a Bible discussion and he was bringing up some things from the Genesis account. And he says, you know, some of these other nations, uh, they have their accounts of the flood. The first 10 chapters of Genesis specifically he was talking about, they have their, their, uh, account of these things. And then there's ours. He says, how come there's some similarities? So I was telling them the reason there's some similarities is because we all have the same father, Adam, and these these uh, these things were all passed down. They all saw the original story, so they all have a version of that original story. He says, "Yeah," but the, he said, "I did notice that the thing that's different is that uh, the story in the Bible, God's on our side. <laughs> God's a good God. On the other one, it seems like the gods are against them." I says, "Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much how it's going to be." Uh, and so God wants to show this to the world because a lot of the gods in the world right then, they're not always on your side. And they don't always do good things for you. But God wants them to see that God's a good God and he does good things for his people. And so for his name's sake, he said, I didn't judge you, even though you should have been judged. But I didn't do it. Then verse 10, Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments which if any man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. You're going to see a couple of things really repeated here. One is the Sabbath. Another is the uh, the idols, the idol worship that went on. And God's concern about his name. These are three things you're going to see repeated over and over again. Moreover, I also gave my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness that they did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbath. Then I said, 
I will pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I brought them out. So I also raised my hand and an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eye spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. So I said, in the wilderness, I could have done this. Now, of course, we saw that in the wilderness when they were at the uh, at the mountain getting the law, and Moses interceded for them. And there's a few other times that God says, just stand aside, I'm going to wipe these people out. <laughs> and uh, either Moses interceded or God relented or something happened. Again, God is concerned about his name. He makes known that they did not keep the Sabbath. Now, this is before they get into the land of, of uh, Israel. So there are some things they had to do as far as the Sabbath we're concerned while they were in the wilderness. Some of that we know in that the, the manna that would fall would not fall on the Sabbath. And so they had to collect the manna before. We know that they messed that up. <laughs> they uh, collected some and they kept it over the days they weren't supposed to. And of course, they went bad and made the whole house stink. And then they uh, didn't trust God again when he said collect twice as much on the, on the day before the Sabbath because it's not going to fall on the Sabbath. And so some of them went out to go collect it and it wasn't there. This is all part of profaning the Sabbath, but apparently there were some other things they could have done, not all of which are recorded in the Word of God. But God says, you didn't keep my Sabbath in the wilderness. So it wasn't just a matter of when they were in the uh, in the land and the things they had to do with the Sabbath then. So let's go on to verse 18. But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. Hallow my name, hallow my name Sabbath, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to observe my judgments. Which, if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbath. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profane in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I brought them out. So again, he says here, you all deserve judgment and I didn't do it. And then again, you all deserve judgment and I didn't do it. Then again, you deserve judgment and I didn't do it. I gave you mercy instead. And of course, the Sabbaths are still being pointed out. The fact that he wants to preserve his name is still being pointed out. Verse 23, Also I raised my hand and an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. So we're not just rereading the same verses. <laughs> Therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire that I might make them desolate and they might make, they might know that I am the Lord. Now there's something that is added that wasn't in the previous ones. They started having the infant sacrifices. Now they didn't pick this up in the wilderness. They didn't seem to pick this up uh, in Egypt. And they didn't pick this up in the beginning years when they were in the land. But of course, as the kings, Solomon started it to go after other idols. And as these idols became uh, came on in, uh, infant sacrifice was introduced. And for some reason, they seemed to fall in love with it. I, I don't understand. And, and God doesn't understand. God, he just was perplexed. You know from some of the other verses, he just perplexed. How in the world, why would you, why would you go after this? Why would people serve a God that demands that they kill their, their children? But of course, people are doing that uh, very often right now. They're just sacrificing their kids for, well, the baby's not convenient for me or whatever it might be. And um, things like this are, are, are going on. But he gave mercy to them. 
And we see in verse 24, this is the fifth reference to the desecration of the Sabbath. Now, when they got into the land, not only did they have those things that they were doing wrong with the Sabbath while they were in the wilderness, but they were also supposed to have the, the seventh day be a Sabbath. And they seemed like they, they followed them probably the most of, of all. But there was also supposed to be a Sabbath of years. So the seventh year, the land was to have rest. Now, here's what is unusual about the Sabbath of years. In most things that God does, it's an act of faith. You have the act of faith first, and then you see the harvest. In the Sabbath of years, it was not so. The promise for the Sabbath of years is that in the sixth year, you will have a harvest, I believe it says three times. Three times as great as what you had before. So you actually got the harvest before the Sabbath. So in year six, whenever that was, they had the increase of threefold. So now they, they approach the Sabbath year. They've already got the increase. It already came. But they decided to not honor the Sabbath. Well, we got, we just had three times the, the harvest. How can we skip this year? I mean, if we got three times last year, what's going to happen this year? We got to, and so they, they went ahead and did it. Now, can't you hear the enemy telling them this? Come on. Don't, don't miss this harvest. You just got three times as good of a harvest as you did before. You know you want to sow into this, into this year. There's no telling them what you're going to get. <laughs> and so when they did that, now that, that took off the next sixth year triple increase. And so now they didn't get it on that, that next year. And so now they feel like they have to because they didn't get the increase. And so we saw that what, what had continued on, they, uh, they didn't honor the Sabbath. And so when they got, get into the, um, uh, penalty with Babylon and they're in captivity, they're in there for 70 years to give the land its Sabbath for all the times they didn't do it. For the 490 years that they were in the land and they did not give the land its Sabbath, it's going to have them now. And so the land was desolate all those years for 70, for 70 years. After that, they were allowed to come on back. But that's what it was based upon. There's also the Sabbath of Jubilee. And as we told you before, Israel, there is no account that they ever celebrated the year of Jubilee. Ever. They came to the first year of Jubilee and greed had gotten them. Well, if greed had gotten them and kept them from the Sabbath, the seventh year Sabbath, how much more do you think it would have gotten them on the 50 year Jubilee one? That would have been pretty tough to swallow. Because the year of Jubilee would come after the seventh seventh year Sabbath, which would have been year 49. And so you didn't sow anything on that year. And now you got to give back all this stuff. And that just pushed them a little bit too much. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if they would have ever seriously considered doing Jubilee, but it seems that they never had. And all you need is one or two people not to do it. And that'll send the, 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 the thing. What do you mean you're not giving the land back? That's what it's supposed to be. Well, if you're not giving this back, I'm not giving this back. And then that set off another one. Well, if you're not giving me that back, I'm not giving this person this thing back. And then pretty soon everybody just kept what they had and the year of Jubilee was gone. Both of these things involved trust to God. It was to do things differently than the world did it. No other nation did things this way. This is unheard of. Why in the world would you not sow? But God wanted them to trust them. And they decided, no, we're not going to do it. It's, it pushes us too much. Now, I'm sure it didn't take God by surprise. <laughs> they haven't been trusting them all, all this way. They didn't trust them for water. They didn't trust them for food. They didn't trust them for protection. But he kept coming through for them for protection, for food, for water. And so when they come to inquire of God, something along the line of, well, what's God had to say about this now? Seems that uh, Babylon is losing. And God says, look, from way back in Egypt, you guys rebelled. When you got into the wilderness, you guys rebelled. When we decided to wipe that group out and uh, go with the, the children, the children rebelled. When we got into the land of Israel, they rebelled again. In fact, they got to rebel so much that they started even sacrificing their kids to other gods. My gifts that I gave to them, they sacrificed to other gods. 
And when you look at it that way, you're going to understand how, how mad God can get. I gave you these gifts, and this is what you do with them? Verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is this too your fathers? In this too, your fathers have blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I have raised my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees, there they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings. There they also sent up sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. And then I said to them, What is this high place you go to? So its name is called Bama to this day, which is high place. So the high places became a problem. And we remember from the Word of God when they first entered in, and it seemed like they may have entered in as a, a more convenient place to worship God, but the high places that were there in place from the other people were not there to worship God. They were there to worship idols. And so some of those high places got used to worship idols as well. And then little by little, they began to get more into the idolatrous worship and then more into the idolatrous worship. And then pretty soon they were doing the same thing that the nations before them had done that God judged them for. And they decided we're going to go ahead and do it. We won't get judged. Verse 30. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols. Even to this day, so shall I be inquired of by you. O house of Israel, as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. What you have in your mind shall never be when you say we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in our in other countries, serving wood and stone. <laughs> so, um, God is not very pleased with these folks. They have come before the prophet to ask uh, questions of God, but apparently their hearts are still not right. And God is having none of it. Doesn't even ask, let them ask their questions. These are these are the last couple of verses. This is what they are currently doing. <clears throat> this is the rebellions that they are now involved with. So verse 33. As I live, says the Lord. And of course, he lives eternally. So that's not going to change. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the people's and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. So you get an idea of how he's doing this. Uh, basically, I'm not pulling you out because y'all are just, he, God says, hey, come on. All right, we're ready to go. God says, uh-uh, I'm not, <laughs> get out here. <laughs> and he just pulls them on out. You can kind of take the, the picture of an angry mom going after the kid because he's out in something that he's not supposed to be. And uh, there's, a, there's a mighty hand, there's an outstretched arm, and there's fury. <laughs> and and that, uh, that son or that daughter is going. He says in verse 35, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will break you, uh, bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So he's bringing them all out. He's bringing them out with a, with a strong hand. He's basically, he's saying, all those that are called by my name, you're all coming out here. And I'm not taking no for an answer. You, 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 and you. Come on, let's go. And he's pulling them all out there and he's passing them under a rod. And what this means is, he's doing the same thing he did to the people in the wilderness. God's purpose in the wilderness was to get all the rebels to surface. All the people who are rebellious, let's get you all out here. And he put them in situations to where their rebellion came out. And when their rebellion came out, judgment came with it and wiped them out. Now, in the end times, I know with people who have a hard time with this one, but after a thousand years of ruling and reigning with Christ, people can rebel. Well, God's going to get rid of it. Whatever rebellion is still here, 
before we go into the next one, he's going to get rid of it. So he's going to give him ample opportunity. You want to rebel? Go ahead. Do it. Here's the guy who's going to convince you to do it. Satan, go out there and convince all the ones you can to rebel. And Satan says, oh, I got a last, a last shot here. If I get enough people on my side, maybe we can turn this around. <laughs> so he goes out with everything he's got to persuade as many as, as possible. And God just stands back. If you can be persuaded after a thousand years rolling and reigning with Jesus Christ, if you can be persuaded, go! Go! Have fun! Head on out there. Rebel. Go right on ahead. God's not going to stand in their way at all. Because if you've got even a little bit of rebellion in you, God wants you gone. Because He does not want to go through this again. I only want people who have no rebellion. I want people that when the rebel comes up and he says, hey, you want to rebel against God? No. No, I like Jesus. He's a great king. Oh, there can be a better one. No, there can't be. Now understand, the millennial reign is not the new heaven and new earth. Things are not perfect. There's going to be work. There's going to be cleanup. The earth is pretty much going to be the same as it was. Except we got a new king. New heaven and new earth is coming after that. And he says, before I mess this whole thing up, rearrange it and kick out a brand new earth unsoiled by sin. Anyone who's got any rebellion in them at all is leaving. And so that's what the, the whole purpose of Satan being released is. And that's what he's doing here. When he brought them to the wilderness, we're going to get rid of all the rebels. And he got rid of a lot of them. But still a few other ones did manage to get on through. Now when they came into the land of Israel and began to conquer, you saw a group of people that there was very little rebellion in them. In fact, when they came to Jericho, only one person was in rebellion. One person. That was it. That's pretty good. That's a whole, that's a far cry from what they were. But then as time went on, more rebels came up. But God says, I'm going to pass you under the rod. We're going to pull you out of all the places you're at and I'm going to pass you under the rod. And if you fail whatever test is there, that rod's coming down on you. You are not getting in. And if you go back and you read the book of, of Ezra and um, see the things that were going on with the building of the wall so forth, you can see the, the people that came in and the things that they were up against. And they had opportunity to distrust God, but they, they kept their faith in God. Even though people came up and were making threats, they, uh, they kept going. So the group that he pulled into there, this was, that was a good group. So where do we leave off at? Verse 38. So he's going to have them pass under the rod. Now verse 39. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go, serve every one of you his idols. And hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name no more with your gifts and your idols. Now, he's not giving them a free reign to go out there and serve other idols. He's basically saying this. Look, if you want to go serve other idols, go. Serve them. But stop bringing my name into it. Stop doing it in my house. Stop doing it and calling it Jehovah. Quit. If you're going to go serve the other idols, then go serve them. But leave me out of it. Because I am not involved in this stuff. And you keep dragging my name into this. And he's upset that they keep dragging his name into this idolatrous worship. Trying to mix the worship of Jehovah with the worship of idols. Trying to say they're the nation under God, but bringing in all this foreign worship. He says, just knock it off. If you're going to go in that direction, then go full full direction. Go, go all after it. But leave me out of it. Verse 40, For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord God, there are there all the house of Israel, all of them in the land shall serve me. There I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the first fruits of your sacrifices. Together with all your holy things, I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. And then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, 
into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. Now this is the promise of things that are to come. This is what he's going to do. This is, this is uh, somewhat fulfilled when they come back, but these things that are promised here are not fully realized until the, uh, the last time that he brings them on in. So a time will come when they will, when they will loathe what they had done. And, uh, and there shall, and there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel, says the Lord. He says there's going to come a day and you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh, did we really do that to God? How did we bring this into the worship of God? How did we not stay faithful to the God who had done so much for us? How did we defile His name among the Gentiles? How did we not show them how much we reverenced Him? Look at all that He brought us through. Look at all that He delivered us from. Here's what we did. And they'll get a view of that and they will begin to say amongst themselves, oh, I just, they're not going to blame other people. They're just going to look at themselves and say, how did we do this? Now see, they're going to come into a real place of repentance there. And they're going to feel a great remorse to God. God, so, we're so sorry that we brought you into that. I don't know how you, you spared us. I don't know how you gave us mercy. But oh, you gave us a, such mercy. All the things we brought, all the corruption that we brought in. But still, you came with mercy. As long as we walk in a mentality that justifies our wicked ways, we cannot understand the grace and the mercy of God. We cannot understand how great that that grace and that mercy is that he bestowed upon us. We're always going to look at whatever it is that I got, I deserved it somehow. God should have come through. But when they finally get this viewpoint of what they have done to God, They will loathe themselves. The remorse will be great. And they will see the great mercy and grace of God. Oh, it will be a change of heart. See, they don't see that right now. They see the bad things as, how can God do this to us? That's That's not the way it will be forever. The day is coming. He said, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel. Sometimes Christians, we get this attitude that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and whatever I did, well, I'm forgiven for all that and God just needs to show up for me. Sometimes we just got to get a realistic uh, viewpoint of the great grace and mercy that he's poured out on us. And just to be so thankful, Father God, I thank you for your mercy. I don't deserve it. I deserve judgment. But you, you put mercy upon me because of that grace that you have. And we're just so grateful and so thankful. If we stay in that mentality, the devil can't pull us into the wrong areas. But if he can get us with that heart that says, you deserve this, that shouldn't be going down for you. God shouldn't do that to you. If he can get us to think that way, he's going to pull us into the same thing that Israel was pulled into here. Verse 45, Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south, and preach against the south, and prophesy against the forest land, the the south, and say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. Now when it says he sets his, his face to the south, he's talking about Elijah. 
for him to fit, put his face in this particular direction, he is looking towards the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And he's looking down there and he's calling out. But he specifically calls out the trees. Because the judgment of God is going to be like a fire. And so he gave them a picture of a forest fire. And of course, in, you know, we got the pictures from Australia of how that country is burning. That country is burning even greater than anything in California has, has been doing. Just intense, intense burning. And so we can all get that picture. And Israel was able to get that picture. They've seen intense forest fires like this. Can you imagine them having a forest fire and what they had to put it out with? We've got all kinds of things to be able to put. We've got planes that can fly over top and, and hit it with some stuff and still we have trouble fighting them. Can you imagine the trouble that they would have had? But they can picture that. Once that fire got going, what do you do to stop it? And so he's giving them this picture. Just like you've seen a forest fire and that blaze just comes through and just consumes all the wood, all the forest, all the trees, just consumes it. This is what I'm doing and I'm starting it down there in that land in the south. I'm starting down there in Judah, in Jerusalem. And that fire is going to be burning and it's just going to consume everything through. And so this is the whole picture of what he has done here in this, in this word that he's given them. He says, first off, you were rebellious in the land of Egypt. You were rebellious when I brought you out of Egypt. But despite that rebellion, I gave you mercy. And then after that, the kids that you had, they were rebellious. I was going to judge all you guys and, and waited 40 years for you to wander through the wilderness. And I was going to raise up your kids. And once we did that, then the kids fell into rebellion. And judgment came upon them. And then we finally entered into the promised land. And once you took the promised land, you entered into rebellion again. Remember the book of Judges. That time of rebellion was, was pretty quick. And they were off in, in doing things. In the book of Judges, one after another, the judge has to come up and deliver them because some enemy took them over because they were worshiping idols. They were doing things they weren't supposed to be doing. And judgment came. And he said, still, I gave you mercy. And then you, you fell into rebellion again. Even more so than you did before. Not only are you offering idols, going after idols, but you're taking your kids and you're sacrificing them to them. And still, I gave you mercy. But he says, now, get this picture. I am going to restore you. I am going to bring you back. But in order for that to happen, I had to first off judge all the sin. So I am going to purge the land of everything. I'm going to take you folks and I'm going to spread you out from the land. You're not going to be in that land and I am going to take a judgment fire and we're going to come through that land and we are going to purge it from everything that was there. And then I'm going to call you out from all the different places and I'm going to forcibly bring you out from wherever you are. And I'm going to pass you under the rod and if you have any rebellion in you at all, that rod is going to come down upon you and then those are the ones I'm going to bring back into this land. But just know this, he says, in order for that to happen, judgment has to come. This is exactly the kind of language that Paul uses when he writes to the Thessalonians. And the Thessalonians think that they're already in the tribulation. And Paul says, it is impossible for you to be in the tribulation because the great catching away has to happen first. The great rapture has to happen first. Before that great and awesome day of the Lord. And so what he is saying is the exact same phraseology. Exact same thing. Before I can bring you back in the land into a place of glory. I've got to bring judgment upon it. And I've got to purge the land of all the things that you brought in. Do not believe anything out there that's trying to tell you that judgment is not coming. Do not believe the little signs that you see that show you that Egypt is gaining strength. Because I'm telling you, this is the way it's going down. Babylon will be the power. You will be under Babylon. And if you do not submit to them, they will come in and they will burn this place. And they didn't listen. He said, all flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be quenched. And then in verse 49, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they say of me, does he speak? Does he not speak parables? Almost sounds like a complaint. Kind of 
kind of is. The New Century Version translates it this way. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, the people are saying about me, He is only telling stories. They're not taking me as a legitimate prophet because I keep telling stories about vines and about eagles and about lions. That's not all He's doing. But you see, they grabbed hold of those stories and they say, Ah, you're just a little fable tailor. We don't have to believe you. But he's speaking the words that God gave him. Now imagine this. People are picking on you and not wanting to believe the words that you say because you say exactly what God says. What's the temptation? Well, I can take what God says and I can buffer it and change it a little bit so that the people will hear it better. Now Ezekiel doesn't do it. But you can see from this verse, the temptation is there. He just doesn't yield to it. He, the, the, the enemy is coming to him and telling him, if you just change the words that God gives you to the way that you know that people will hear it better, then God will accomplish his purpose. God needs you to change this up a little bit so that they'll hear it. But he doesn't do it. This is what's setting the stage for some of the most intense prophecies that have ever been prophesied in the word of God. If you think those have been tense, they are not as intense as they're coming. Because he has proved himself that if God says it, he will speak it exactly as God said it. Now see, if you have a prophet who speaks the word of God and they change it, God is held accountable for that. So there are prophets that have come and God can only give them a partial amount of it because this is all that their faith can handle. I can say this, I can see God doing this, but if I get to a place where I can't see God doing it, I may alter it. But, Here's, here's Ezekiel. Ezekiel says, they're picking on me. They're not taking me seriously because of how it is that you're telling me these words, but I'm still going to tell them exactly as you told them to me. And God says, here's a man we can do it. And what he's going to do in this book of Ezekiel has not been done by any prophet before him or after him. We're not there yet. Now the events between the armies of Egypt and the armies of Babylon painted a picture for the people. It seemed to be saying that the words of the prophets, not named Ezekiel and Jeremiah, were speaking truth. If you've ever had events in your life that painted such a picture, then you can relate to that. If you've never had events paint a picture different from what the Word of God says is coming, just wait a little while, it'll come. These people likely came to Ezekiel with a stated desire to inquire of God when actually they wanted to point out things were not going according to the word. This would be basically another version of has God really said? Has God really said Babylon is going to be the country? Have you seen what Egypt, Egypt just did to them in the last battle? They are speaking words inspired by the enemy, which we talked about on Sunday. And they're giving life to those words and speaking them against the words of God and even the man of God. No matter how things look or what kind of a turn life takes, you continue your stand on the things of God. Continue your stand on the things that God has said. Stay in the areas where God has told you to stay. Don't venture off in some of those other areas. No matter what it seems like, Life is telling you to do. Stay with it. Obey it. If God says don't do it, don't do it. If God says do it, then do it. You got to stay with it. Because if you fall prey to deception of the enemy and go after it, God doesn't hold the enemy accountable. He holds us accountable. Did you know my word said that? Yeah. Why did you believe something different? Well, <laughs> and we have a, a reason Does, doesn't hold any water with God God says I didn't tell you to do that I told you very specifically in the word of God what to do how to behave what to do what not to do you didn't do it in the end times God gives a, a few commands if you're here in the end times the very end times the, the day of the Lord end times 
you're here, he told you a few things. Make sure you don't do it. He tells Israel, when you hear certain things happen, go to the mountains. If they don't go to the mountains, what's God say? I told you where to go. You're on your own. I'm not there. I'm in the mountains. That's where I told you to go. Well, I didn't think I was supposed to listen to that because this was going on. I didn't tell you to look at what was going on. I told you to read the word and do it. Why'd you take that mark of the beast? Well, I really didn't think that, you know, this was any harm. <laughs> Would I tell you my word? I said, don't do it. So these are the things we're going to face. And even so more now. There'll be a lot of pressure for people to give in and to not do the things in the Word of God. To not stand for the things the Word of God stands for. There's a lot of pressure for people to jump on the side of abortion. Very clearly in this passage you can see God is saying, I am not on this. He cites it two different times. Of course they weren't doing this all all their days, but they were doing it some. And the pressure is coming on for more and more people to see this as just just something to do. Even to the point now that certain mayors and certain people in this country, if a baby is born who was intended to be aborted, but it was born alive, that they're allowed to kill it. I just that's amazing. But you see, God has given us a clear picture of what He wants us to do, how He wants us to order our behavior. And no matter what is going on in the world around us, it is not an excuse. Just because Egypt won a victory over Babylon doesn't mean we get to come before the elders or come before the prophet and say, told you so. Told you this is the way we should go. I think you were wrong. That's the attitude these folks came. And that's why God says, no questions. I'm not listening to you. You didn't come here with a pure attitude. So I don't, I don't need to hear any, any questions from you at all. I'm sure we all know times, situations where things that are going on in the world are trying to sway our attitude towards a, a different way. Don't let, it, don't let it be swayed. Even if in the past God has, uh, we've, we've let go of some things and we got swayed. Repent, get back to where you're supposed to be and stay with it strong. That's how we got to go. The enemy will try and put us under guilt and condemnation for things we gave into before. Don't worry about it. I can't change what's going on in the past, but I can sure change in the future. All right, Father, he got me on that one, but he's not getting me again. And you stay with it. That's what God wants us to, to be doing. Well, Father, I thank you that you help us in our stand against the things that are going on in this world. Just as these people had situations on one side telling them this way is right and situations on this telling them that way is right. They could disbelieve the Word of God or they could believe it the same way as we can. And I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us. You speak to our spirit and you speak to us through your Word. And if we hold to those things and don't let what is going on in this world sway us, we will have your respect and your honor will be upon us. And Father, we will make sure that your name is not blasphemed in this world. So much of this world wants to blaspheme the name of Jesus and the name of God. Use them in all kinds of cuss language things. And Father, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to bring your name into any way to be shortchanged. To be seen as less than the great God that you are. And I thank you that we are your testimony here in this earth. We will stand strong for the things of God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.